0: You know, when you get that, that if you're trusting in Christ this morning, that your record of sin, that your record of debt before the judgment bar of God, that your record of sin and failure, Christ took it to the cross and paid the penalty and obliterated it there so that then you get His righteousness. As your record before the throne of God. When you get that. That last little part of that hymn we sung. That will be coming more and more and more a reality. So uh, if you know Jesus. These things will be true in you and growing. You will be abhorring all of your sin. And adoring only him. Are you growing in your hatred of sin? Are you growing in your love for Christ? That's evidence of the Spirit being at work in you as a child of God. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 14. We'll have a couple of more sermons in Romans 14. Then we will divert and have a five-week series in December. No ordinary birth. Christ, the Incarnation, we'll do a series on that, and then we'll come back to Romans uh, in January. But today we're going to look at verses 5 and 6 in Romans 14. But I'm going to read verses 1 to 12 to set it into context. We looked at 1 to 4 last time. Romans 14, verse 1, this is the Word of God. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions or disputed matters. We talked about that. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this being your word, we pray that your spirit would attend it, that your spirit would illuminate it, that you would be at work in our hearts, planting gospel seeds, bringing us to faith if we don't know you, growing us in grace and knowledge of and likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if we do. Bless us with your word, Lord. Help me to preach it in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. And then help us to go away with that understanding that we need, that we might live in the light of your word for your glory and our good. So bless the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Safely through another week, God has brought us on our way. This is John Newton, by the way. Safely through another week, God has brought us on our way. Let us now a blessing seek waiting in his courts today. Day of all the week, the best. Emblem of eternal rest. Day of all the week, the best. Emblem of eternal rest. John Newton speaking of the Lord's Day. Same man that wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. The seventh day Sabbath was instituted at creation, regulated by God's covenant with the Jews at Sinai. And many Jews still observe the Sabbath on the seventh day. Did you know? I didn't know this. Recently, um, our stove was fritzing and we ended up getting uh, another stove and, and uh, I was thankful to be able to do that. But I learned as we were, as I was looking at stoves and reading about them, I learned that there's actually a Sabbath setting on stoves these days. Yeah, there is a, so that observant Jews can use their ovens without violating the Sabbath. And I'll let you go read all the details to that. You can heat up your food, but the light can't come on in it. But uh, that's another day. But with the death and resurrection of Jesus, that weekly day of rest prescribed in the fourth commandment. transitioned to the first day of the week and has been known ever since as the Lord's Day. But sadly, the Lord's Day has been a controversial topic in the church. Some see the continuity of the fourth commandment through the Old Testament law and the Sabbath into the new covenant and the Lord's day. Others think that because the seventh day Sabbath has been fulfilled, the fourth commandment no longer has any relevance in the church. See, it seems a form of this struggle was alive and well in Rome. Remember, Paul is writing to the believers in Rome and the church in Rome that is made up of Jews and Gentiles there. And he's fighting for the unity of the church. And he's helping them. Last time we talked about food matters. And we talked about how the Jews would have been used to kind of having clean and unclean foods. And that had even gotten amped up out of fear over idolatry. The strong, uh, which Paul would have been included in, believed that, that all, all foods were clean and, and could eat anything. But there was a segment of the church that uh, had gone so far they they would not... Uh, eat anything but vegetables out of fear. So while Paul sided with, this, with the strong there, he was patient with the weak and willing to teach and wait and, and defer to them in some settings. It was probably for the most part the Jews that had those food discrepancy and it's probably for the most part uh, the Jews who are seeing one day as more important Uh, In that context, we'll see as we look at the text and the Gentiles were the ones that came in with the, the habit of seeing every day alike. So there's this this sort of rift that could be there in the church. The food differences, the day differences we're causing divisions in the church. So Paul is dealing with how the strong are supposed to uh, accept the weak and vice versa and not judge one another over food, over, over days, and we'll see, over wine. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's not important, as we'll see. But today we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. And I, I just I struggle with what to even title this and went back and forth on a few things. But just the Lord's Day with a question mark uh, is the title. But here's the main point. Study to be fully convinced of your position on the Lord's day, but think the best of those who disagree and entrust all judgment to the Lord. Study to be fully convinced of your position on the Lord's day, but think the best of those who disagree and entrust all judgment to the Lord. Look back at verse 5. Be fully convinced about the Lord's day you got a diverse reality in the church there. He says this, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So there was a main division here on this topic uh, in the church in Rome, probably, like I said, between the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Jews are used to having sacred days. The Gentiles were not. Gentiles are used to treating every day the same. So the calendar is creating conflict in the church. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems every day alike. So what days, when we're talking about in verse 5, what days are we talking about here? Here. It's an important question. I know some believe that this is only talking about the ceremonial days, like festivals, and not the weekly Sabbath. But I'm not convinced. And the reason I'm not convinced is the text. For me, it doesn't seem like that's what the text is saying. Look back at verse 5. It says, one person esteems one day as better than the other. Doesn't say some days as better than other days. It says one day as better than the other. Look at, look at verse 6. The one who observes the day. So it seems to me that we're, we're, we're talking about a particularly important single day. And the only one that makes sense to me in that context is that weekly Sabbath. That pattern God set in creation. Where he worked six and rested on the seventh, and hallowed the seventh day. That was codified in the law and regulated in the law. But it seems to me that we're talking about a special day here, not a group of special days. The singular in these verses uh, seem to point us to that. And I know some commentators disagree, but most of the ones I read uh, would come out would come out here. Um, Jews came into the church with a practice of a weekly Sabbath firmly established. And in fact, they, they treated this one day as a holy day or a sacred day. You can kind of see that reflected in NIV is sacred, where it says uh, in the net Bible holier. This one day was holier than the others. One person esteems one day as more holy or more sacred than another, while another person esteems All days alike. Sabbath observance and food laws were were key Jewish distinctives in the first century. And disputes over these distinctives arose not just in Rome, but in other churches, especially in the early church. If you remember, we're we're talking he wrote Romans some twenty-five years after the resurrection. So the church is young, the church is new church is working its way through a lot of issues. And this seems to be one of them. So Paul seems to be highlighting the fact that there were differences of opinion on the Sabbath and whether or not that applied in the Roman church. And those opinions were tending to create different groups. People in the church today still struggle with this. Good people who are saved people. Disagree on the Lord's day. So, what should we do? I mean, people disagree on everything. But what should we do? We get direction here, and and it's why do you think I'm, I'm always pressing you to be in the Word, to know. God through His Word. Look, this, there was a, there was a, there was a uh, particular diverse reality in the church which brings about a responsibility. There is a requirement of, for the uh, action of a diligent duty. Look, look what He says in verse, in verse five. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I want to highlight the fact that just it doesn't say just convinced. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And we know that Paul would never have us violate our conscience, but he also would have our conscience be instructed by the Word of God. But there's work to do. Each one, look at that again, each one. It doesn't say the preacher should be fully convinced so that he can tell you what the deal is. Well, that's true. We all have to be Bereans, right? Each one should be fully convinced on this and other issues. Now, there's an interesting thing going on here, too. If you look back at it, each one should be fully convinced. This verb is a passive verb. There's a passive. We are to allow ourselves to be fully convinced. How do we do that? Well, we get in the truth. And we allow the truth to shape us. Same thing in in 12. We look back, if you look in 12, uh, 1 and 2. In in chapter 12, verse 2. We've been learning how to be living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. Those who exhibit genuine love, it says. Love for neighbor. And those who are in the word. And you see that up front. and, And all these characteristics we've been studying since we began chapter 12. Which are the application of the gospel. He says in chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's a passive imperative. Be being transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the more our minds are transformed by the word of God, the more equipped we are to discern God's will. In particular situations, a transformed mind results in the ability to discern God's will. And in this place, we're talking about the Lord's day. We're talking about this one day being more special or more holy than the other days. What is the truth there? There's an answer to that. And that answer comes as we take this command seriously and we're digging so that we are Being fully convinced by the Word of God on any topic, but as it relates to this topic here on this topic on the Lord's Day. Not you and your own strength, according to your own ideas, transforming your mind, but having your mind transformed by the Holy Spirit of the living God through the Word of God. Study it out. Let the word convince you. Rightly interpret it in context. Get help from good teachers and good books. Talk with one another. Especially important to talk with those with whom you differ to see why they hold the positions they hold. Right? And let that examine you. That can be done through books as well as personal conversation. If we're, see, if we're not going around judging one another and writing one another off, we're going to have a whole lot better conversations with one another. And and come to good consensus many, many, many times. But he tells us it is your responsibility, Roman believer, and through them, us, knowing this to be the Word of God. It is each one of you, it is your responsibility to be fully convinced in your own mind through the Word of God. Because there's an unavoidable reality here somebody's wrong. Just as with the food, I mean, if you if you have, if Paul if you were with Paul and he was telling you his convictions about food, and we see them thankfully in the Word, he was convinced that an idol was nothing; that anything prayed over was clean, and he could eat it. The believer could enjoy it. But the weaker brothers and sisters were struggling with that. And and he's talking about patience with them and helping them come through. There was a right position and a wrong position on food. But the ones that were strong were not to be going around beating up the weak. And the weak weren't to be going around judging the strong. The same here. I think there's a right understanding of the Lord's day. It's important to remember somebody's wrong on this. But here's an important point I want you to take away from it. Paul is not saying it doesn't matter. He's not saying it doesn't matter. He doesn't, he's not saying it doesn't matter where you come out here. He's saying be patient and gentle and kind with one another as you're studying to be convinced by the word of God. Dwell together in unity even though you differ and be willing and able to talk about those things without rifting over them. But it does. he's not saying it doesn't matter. Just like with food. There's a truth that undergirds that, that would be feeding the strong in their convictions that they might, verse 2, eat anything. Well, there's a conviction undergirding those who might see one day as better than the other in a certain sense, or holier, or more sacred. he's teaching the church to be able to to disagree and remain unified to be gracious with one another and to wait on one another but here's the other thing he's teaching the church is to be miners in the word of god read, read proverbs 2 about doing the hard work of mining out the truth of the word of god paul was convinced that more the more The weak studied the scriptures, the more they would come into unity with the strong. And there's the same thing here. But it requires patience and grace in the meantime. Patience and grace. Sometimes the reformed world is not good at that. I've had a person, a beloved brother that I love and know in this church that I won't name, that told me there's no weird like reformed weird. And he's right. Well, Especially when we first come to the knowledge of these truths. Right? Especially the, the sovereignty of God in salvation. But other things. You know, it, it affects other things. Brand new reformed believers, it has been said, need to be put in a cage for a year. Until they learn how to play well with others. And, how to be light and salt. We don't need to be going around beating each other up over our position on the Lord's day. So that's the next point. Verse 6. Be patiently gracious about the Lord's day and really everything else. This, you know, just be kind to one another. Remember when we we just briefly read this and talked about it, 1 Corinthians 13, and applied it when we started chapter 14. But remember, love thinks the best. Think the best about one another. And that's what Paul is sort of putting forward here in verse 6. He's like, he's saying, look, listen to me. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. Your brothers and sisters in the church are seeking to honor the Lord. They just might be at a different place than you right now. And so the weaker is not to just knee jerk judge the strong. Nor is the strong to be despising the weak, but working together and and teaching one another and talking with one another and reading together and making every effort to understand these things so that our convictions are informed By the Word of God. Adopt this mindset. The one who observes the day is observing it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats is eating in honor of the Lord, giving thanks to God. And the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Holding our convictions, not violating our conscience, and still being able to live in unity With our brothers and sisters is the challenge, isn't it? Because we make everything the most important thing. and We put them all in the same category. And we will only be unified with those who believe. Just like we do on everything. And it becomes us four and no more. Again, we're not saying these things are not important. We're not saying they're not convictions to come to. But we are saying, and Paul is saying, that the church needs to be patient with one another. And kind to one another. And willing to walk in some differences with one another and still be locked arm and arm for the gospel. And here we're talking about the Lord's Day. Do not let your differences over the Lord's Day divide you. Be patient. Be gracious with one another. I think Paul is, is really fighting for unity in this text. And you know how hard it is. I guess you know how hard it is. The fight for unity. Knowing what issues are worthy of division over and which issues are not. Right? The resurrection is worthy of division. There's, there's differences here. And even sometimes you might know, you might be uh, what Paul would call a stronger person and have a, an informed conscience by the word of God. And have a conviction on on food or wine or the Lord's Day. Yet. Having to be patient to bring people along to fight for that unity, to, to not make every issue a divisive issue. Not to be passing judgment, not to be despising, being patient, but thinking the best, thinking, yes, I know we don't agree with this, but I, I, I truly believe my brother or my sister is seeking to honor the Lord in this matter. So I just wanted to highlight that and show you this morning, let you see that. You know, there were differences there, and a lot of these differences come from the mixing, the early in the church mixing of Jew and Gentile into one body, one new man. And everybody comes in with certain convictions, and that made it particularly challenging in the Roman church. The last thing I thought I would do today, and this is going to be really brief, and we we can talk more if we need to, is just ask the question, so is there a sacred day? Is there a Lord's Day? It seems obvious to me that Paul... I think... It's not obvious. Let me back off of that. It's not obvious. But I think Paul is... is He's, he's, sort of, he's not thrown a bone to the Gentiles over food, but the Gentiles were more used to eating everything and didn't really have those scruples that the Jews had. And he's kind of pointed out that there was a strong position on food that in mass probably matched more with what the gentiles thought whether or not they got that from scripture and now i think he's throwing it the other way to to at least give clues and give hints that the jews were right in hallowing one day over another so it's not terribly obvious but look look what he couples up in verse 6 in verse 6 paul seems to observe the strong as those who observe the day because he couples it with those who eat in verse six. And again, this, you got, this is digging and a dick, but look what he couples together. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. The one who observes the eats, we know he's identified as the strong and he's coupled that with the one who observes the day. He hasn't even mentioned, really, in this verse, the one who sees every day the same. But the the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord, the one who eats and eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains and stains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So he seems to be sort of leaning towards one side being more right than the other in these issues and showing them that not one, one side doesn't have all the answers. That there's a there's a need for unity here, and he, when he couples the 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 ones who eat with the ones who observe the day, just my opinion, that uh, he's coupling there and describing the strong in verse six. But let me give you a brief case why this is not where we settle the issue on the Lord's Day. I think it is about it and how we relate to one another. I think the singular and for the other reasons that I've mentioned brings that into discussion and the fact that the characteristic main characteristics of the jews were the word, these things the 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 sabbath and the food restrictions so uh, whether or not you agree with that I'm, I'm putting i'm just telling you where i'm at right now but here's a very brief case for the lord's day number one the sabbath was a creation ordinance god set that pattern in the garden when he created man and woman when he created mankind he worked six and and hallowed the seventh and called on people to follow that pattern. He's created us to work and rest in rhythm. He's created us to work and worship in rhythm. And nothing about the new covenant has taken away that need. You're still created to work six. Now, I mess up some of y'all's weekend, aren't I? You're still created to work six and rest one. We want to work four and take three days off. I get it. You're created to, you've you got to do some work at home as well as at work, and there's time for all of that. You're created for six and one pattern. And it was in creation that God set that pattern. And then in the, the Mosaic covenant, or what we call the old covenant, it says, remember how the fourth commandment starts. Remember. Not start something, but remember. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember God's setting it apart. At creation. And then the seventh day Sabbath is put into motion there. Listen, there are many types and shadows attached to the Sabbath of the Old Covenant. I think I, I agree with that. But the pattern was set at creation and reinstituted there with the giving of the law. Although it, over the years it would become encrusted with many things that never were commanded, which made it a burden. I think maybe that might be illustrated by the Sabbath setting on your range. But we're not gonna go there. But there was definitely an institution of the Sabbath at creation, a regulation of it, when the, with the giving of the law, and then the new covenant brought in by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Like I said, we still need six days to work. We need that one day of worship and rest. And what you see by the clear pattern and command of the New Testament in Christ setting that 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 um That pattern again is that the seventh day Sabbath fulfilled gives way to the first day, Lord's day. So in the new covenant, the Lord's day is the day. The first day of the week is the day of rest and worship. There's still a day. It's still needed until Christ returns. We, are, we do not have the full attainment of his rest yet. There's one thing I appreciate about this Hebrews 4 passage I'm about to show you. There's an already and not yet to it as well. It's giving us why we still need this, this Sabbath rest, if you will. We still need this pattern. We need the 6 and one pattern, work and rest. And we certainly need the weekly pattern of the day of worship to be set. So, whatever other positions you might take over the fourth commandment and its application to the Christian, no one should dispute the fact that the Lord's day is Sunday, the first day of the week, and on that day, God and his worship should be primary. But look at Hebrews 4 9 through 11. And it's talking about the rest, and if Joshua had given him rest, all of that. I'll let you go read that. But look what it says here. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 9. Literally, that word translated Sabbath rest means this. So then there remains a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. The definition of that word is a Sabbath keeping. I'll let you go look it up, but it's there. Why do we need that? Okay, he says, for whoever has entered into God's rest has rested from his own works as God did from his. So we know picture type shadow. We've rested from our works to rest in Christ and his grace. Right. But also we need this continuing weekly rest until Christ comes back because we physically need it and we spiritually need it. But we've already attained the rest. Some of this standing in rest through our justification but we also have our saints. Okay, look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So we are entered into the rest, and yet we're striving to enter that rest. We, we are made right with God, and yet we're seeking to grow in grace. We're still mortal. We still need six and one. We still need the day of worship So, therefore, there remains a Sabbath rest or a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. I'm not saying that you take everything that was true about the Sabbath in the Old Covenant and just import that into the New. There's a lot of things that people have different convictions about, and I'm not going to settle all those today. But I'm just trying to show you that there remains a need for what is called in the New Covenant the Lord's Day. Okay, where did we get that? Did somebody just make that up? That title, The Lord's Day. Did somebody just make that up? Look at Revelation 1.10. John talking about where he was and when it was when he's receiving these visions and receiving what we have in the book of Revelation. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. What's the time factor there? On Now look at it. The Lord's Day. What we have in our English translation, those two words, the Lord's, that's actually one word and it's a technical term and it means belonging to the Lord. That's what it means in the original. So he's telling us that something belongs to the Lord and it's that particular day. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was in he was worshiping on the first day of the week. And God did special things there. But it, that, that translated the Lord's as a technical term, meaning belonging to the Lord. And then day is one day in seven belongs to the Lord. And John, one, one thing I find interesting about it is he didn't have to explain that. He just mentioned it. As though everybody knew that. that he wouldn't have to explain it. It's like, think about the Lord's Supper. That's another time when this technical term is used. When it says the Lord's Supper in Scripture. It's not just any supper, right? It's that special meal set apart from other meals for a divine purpose. When the Bible says it's the Lord's Supper, it's using this same technical term. The Lord's, that's that term, belonging to the Lord, this Supper. That special meal set apart from other meals for a divine purpose. So, boiling it all down, and I told you this was brief and we could talk way more about this. One day per week is set apart for a divine purpose. It belongs to the Lord. And the primary aspects of that day are just like the old one. Rest and worship. And it seems to me that the strong would have been the ones holding this view in the Roman church. John was in the spirit. On the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, on the day that belongs to the Lord. And the day itself proclaims the gospel. Look what Ignatius of Antioch said this. Lived from 50 AD to some 108 AD. He says, during the Sabbath. Now, he's talking about Jesus and his death and resurrection. And he says, during the Sabbath, that seventh day Sabbath. He continued under the earth in the tomb in which Joseph of Arimathea had laid him. At the dawning of the, what? Lord's day. He arose from the dead. The Sabbath embraces the burial. And the Lord's day contains the resurrection. Christ purchased for us this weekly rest and worship that we so desperately need by His life, death, burial, and resurrection. But notice this. Resurrection. I'm not going to stop until I say this. There's no Christianity without resurrection. And come next week at the 915 class and we're going to talk about about resurrection. I know the topic of death has been heavy. We're going to talk about resurrection in the 9.15 class. But if Christ was not raised from the dead, we are fools to be here this morning. We're still in our sins. We've lied about the gospel. We have no hope. If Christ was not raised from the dead. But since He was... And the apostles were witnesses of the resurrection. We have eyewitness testimony, confirmed in the Word of God, confirmed by the Spirit, working in us to believe it. But the one of the greatest facts of history is that Christ raised from the grave. And the Lord's day proclaims that resurrection. It's a day we have every week a day in which we celebrate the resurrection. We don't, we don't wait till April to celebrate the resurrection. Like we don't wait till December to talk about incarnation. Sometimes we focus there in those two places. And that's okay. Even Calvin would have said that's okay. Something to do. Um, but the Sabbath embraces the burial and the Lord's Day. Contains the resurrection. Christ lived for us. A perfect life under his own law, fulfilling all righteousness for us. He died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. He went into the grave and the third day rose again for our justification, proving it all true. He has ascended and he's coming again someday to judge the dead and the living, as we'll see as we move forward in the text. So my question for you is bigger this morning than what's your position on the Lord's Day. This question is, do you know the Lord? Are you trusting in Him? Do you believe that He lived, died, and was raised from the grave for your salvation? There is no salvation without resurrection. But He's a risen Savior. He's an ascended Savior. He's a reigning Savior. And He's coming again someday. Are you trusting in Him? For God so loved the world, literally, I believe it should be translated, in this manner God loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning? If you are, God worked that in your heart through the Gospel. And you can be encouraged to know that you are forgiven and clothed in His righteousness and a child of God. But the Lord's day, as Ignatius is pointing out, proclaims the resurrection. So how should we apply this as we think about moving out of this study this morning? Number one, this is, this is really this is no new challenge for you if you come to Grace Church much. But it, it is a, a recurring challenge and it's one I'm emphasizing this morning because he asked us to be fully convinced. Study diligently to be convinced in your own mind. Could you... As you examine yourself, could you say that you read the Scriptures and that you ponder on what you've read and that you study to learn from the Scriptures? Are you a student of the Bible? What is a Christian but a disciple of Christ? And how am I discipled by Christ? Through His Word. So on this issue, this issue and every other issue, and I know we're, we're growing in that, and some of us have more ability in that, and, and that's okay. But everyone can read and think about and ponder over and look up references and read commentaries when necessary. Have study Bibles. The ESV study Bible is a good one if you want to have. Reformation study Bible. There's a lot out there. Study diligently. To be convinced in your own mind. Read commentaries when you're dealing with an issue like the Lord's Day on both sides. Talk with those who differ. We have a tendency to stay in our own echo chamber. And just read people that agree with us or that we agree with. So we need to be reading more broadly than that and talking with those who differ. You know, as, as relates to the Lord Day, you probably already know that people in the church that hold a different opinion than yours. Talk to them. It's a very simple question. Why do you believe what you believe about the Lord's Day? And be willing to have a, a, a gentle discussion about it. And I promise you, you'll learn from one another. It's all. Discipleship is always a two way street. <clears throat> but if it's not. Listen, one of the most dangerous things I don't know. I, we were planning a Bible study in a church I was in, not this church. We were planning a um, I think it was a ladies Bible study at the time, but we were planning men's and ladies. And one person said to us talking about prayer and Bible study, they said, that's just not my thing. That is not good news if that's not your thing. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, Jesus said. And listen, I don't want to beat you down and have you leave discouraged if you're not being in the word and studying the word. I just want to call on you to repent. If you're a follower, if you claim to trust Christ, just turn from that. He's given us a book that he expects us to know and through which the spirit works that we might grow. And I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but I did. <laughs> but it's serious business. This is soul health business here. So be studying to know what you believe and why you believe it. Number two, treat others who disagree with grace. Be lovingly patient with each other and wait on the Lord. It might be you that comes along to the other's opinion or it might be the other one that comes along to you. You might think yourself strong and be the weak person and might find that all out through, through this. But bear with one another and be kind to one another and gracious with one another and, and long-suffering and forgiving with one another. Don't be quick to be offended. Some of you are snap judgers. Need to repent of that. Be lovingly patient with each other as the Lord is lovingly patient with you. If you don't want the Lord to be lovingly patient with you, then don't be lovingly patient with one another. That's kind of the way he talks to us. You can't have the gospel and grace for self without being willing to extend that grace to others. And if you're not in the habit of extending that grace to others, it might mean you don't have grace with the Lord. So this kind of goes along with it. Number three, don't break fellowship over differences here. These kind of differences. Trust all judgment to the Lord. And, and then I want to just end with number four. Wherever you come out on the Lord's day, one thing is clear. No matter which position you hold, unless you want to be unbiblical, His worship is to be primary on the first day of the week. One thing's clear. By pattern, example, command that Christ commands us to come together on the first day of the week and worship. That must be a priority and we must set that example for our children and call them to hold that conviction as well. I'm not saying there's never a time when you can't make it to worship. If you are, you know, a policeman or a fireman or a nurse or there are things like that, but we make far too many excuses for it these days. We make it way too easy. We need, to, we need to ponder those things because God's day is important. The Lord's day is vital for the health of your soul. It's vital for His glory because He, commandments, he commands it. It's an important thing to come to a good understanding of. Well, I'll conclude with the words of Samuel Wilberforce. He was the son of William Wilberforce. And he says this. And I just let this search us. Is this our attitude toward the Lord's day? It should be the height point of the week. He says, oh, what a blessing is Sunday. interposed between the waves of worldly business like the divine path of the Israelites through the sea. Look to the Lord and love the Lord. And honor Him always, as well as on His day. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Whet our appetite. Work in us to be hungering and thirsting for You. As the deer pants for the water. I pray that, that our desire would be for You. And therefore, for knowing You and Your Word. For knowing you through your word and knowing what you require of us through your word. May the Holy Spirit ignite a burning passion for knowing and following Jesus through the word of the living God. Bless us, Lord, to be to be working, to be fully convinced on matters like what has been highlighted for us in Romans is food and days, and we will talk about wine summit. At some point, not to be judging or despising one another, but but to be locked arm in arm for the gospel and to be um, loving one another. Living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, exhibiting genuine love, love of neighbor like we love ourselves, love of one another the way Christ has loved us. I praise you that this is, for the most part, a people who do exactly this. Lord, but we can grow. We can all grow in our love for you, and we should. We will be growing in our love for you, as long as we're being sanctified. And we should be growing in our love for one another, as Christ has loved us, and our love for our neighbor. So help us to be able to differ over certain issues without dividing To keep the main thing the main thing and to pour into growing in grace together Lord, we thank you for your word we thank you most of all for your grace i pray for those who don't know you i pray for your gospel to be at work powerfully in their hearts by your spirit that they might repent and trust jesus and i pray for those of us who do know you that our lives would be characterized by what we sang earlier A growing abhorring of sin and therefore repentance from it. And a growing adoring of Christ and therefore faithfully following you, Lord Jesus. So bless us, Lord, to love and honor you and to grow in your grace.